Welcome everyone to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Leah M. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater and your moderator for this morning. Today is Sunday, August 11, 2019. The sheer ID numbers for Friday, August the 9th are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 13,257. That's 13257. For the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 13,260. That's 13260. Today, A Vision for You presents A Contented Life. The 12 steps as outlined in the big book represent a process resulting in a spiritual awakening, a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from compulsive overeating. We submit to a simple process that is not easy, yet takes us to a place we've never been. We didn't even know it existed. The result of the 12-step process and a relationship with our higher power is change. We are changed in the way we think, the way we feel, and especially in the way we behave. We no longer need to be restless, irritable, and discontent and are able to live and get along with our fellow human beings. We're able to deal with others without resentment, fear, guilt, or remorse. We have been taken out of the world of selfishness and self-centeredness into a spiritual way of life. We are able to be useful and to live a contented life. Joining us today to share her remarkable story of transformation is Sally P., a recovered compulsive overeater from Colorado. Sally's story is another example of the miracles made possible through the implementation of the 12 steps and a relationship with power. And it's with great pleasure I welcome Sally P. to the line. Wow, Leah, thank you so much. What a beautiful opening. Um, Good morning, all you beautiful children of God. My name is Sally P., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I live in Colorado. I live in a little town called Silt, which is about 200 miles west of Denver and maybe 150 miles west of Utah. And um, I'm just going to get right into my story. I, I don't talk a lot on the line because... Number one, I do get intimidated, but I feel like even after all these years, I have so much to learn, and the wisdom I hear on this vision for you meeting are words and wisdom that I had never heard for in all my other years of being in the program. So I, I listen a lot and um, can't, don't feel like I can top what anyone else has to say, and I was speaking at a meeting in Minnesota about a month ago, and fellow visionary was there and she heard my story and she said, you know, I think you should talk on vision. Can I give out Leah your number? And I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. And I'm thinking, yeah, two years from now I'll get to speak. And then two weeks later I get this text from her asking me if I'd fill in and I was like, yep, got to do this. You know, just got to part of my recovery is walking through this fear that is false. So much false fear. So just to start off, I I found OA in 1980 at the age of 23. I'm now 62. I've been in this program for 39 years. And I need to say that I did the best that I could with what I knew. But maybe I should rename this talk and call it Vision for You, Where Have You Been All of My Recovery. 
because it wasn't until I got exposed to the big book through the teachers that I heard on Vision for You that my that my um, that I I can call myself recovered. So I was born September 4th, 1957, in Hackensack, New Jersey Hospital. My mom and dad were expecting one baby, and surprise, surprise, two showed up. Yep, my mom had twins, and she didn't know I was coming. And uh, back then, they didn't have the technology they have now, so they only ever heard one heartbeat. And so I had this vision that I kicked my twin sister's butt out of the womb and because my role that I chose was to drag her through life and I was this big spirit that came out and I'm like, woohoo, I'm here, God, my dad, surprise, surprise, surprise. And I'm sure my parents had mixed emotions like, holy crap, what are we going to do now? We were expecting one kid, now we have two. So, and I have an older sister by two years. Um, so like I say, I was, I was kind of the boss in my twin sister's life. I dragged her through life. She, she followed in my footsteps. Um, and I, I, from the start, I was the chubby and the high-spirited twin. Um, my first food recollection, recollection, I was around four or five years old. My parents made us go to, sun, to a Bible school during the summer. And um, I remember I was obsessing about this bag of marshmallows that was on top of a file cabinet. I didn't hear anything that was being taught in the lesson. All I could think about was those marshmallows. And I, when everybody left the room, I snuck a chair up to that filing cabinet, and I got on the chair, and I pulled down that bag of marshmallows, only to find it was a bag of cotton balls, which is kind of funny. But at four or five, I was able to tune everything out in my life that was going on and only focus on that sugary substance. Uh, my mother told me that one time my teacher called her to tell her that I was stealing snacks from other kids. And I kid you not, I do not remember doing that. So my mom put me on my first diet at around six years old. Um, it was Weight Watchers. And back then, I remember eating bean sprouts with tomato sauce on it. That was getting Weight Watchers. I did lose weight, and mom was very happy. Happy mom, happy Sally. So then for the next 54 years, I was either lose, pardon me, losing or gaining weight. My dad was on a team of chemists who invented imperial margarine, and in an effort to perfect this margarine, his team would make these huge cakes to test out the margarine, and he'd bring them home. So there was always an abundance of sweets in the freezer. And at one point, um, my parents put a lock on the freezer door to stop me from eating, but I found the key. A master manipulator, sneak, and thief at a very young age. I'd go over to my friends' houses and suggest, hey, let's play hide-and-seek. And while we were playing hide-and-seek, I would rummage through their drawers and steal money. I stole money from my dad's piggy bank, my aunt's wallet, I didn't hand in my Sunday school money, and one day the Sunday school teacher called my mom and tattled on me. All this money that I stole went to candy, and I would share it with my twin sister, Joanne. I was trying to buy her love, and I was hoping that if I bought her candy, she would love me. And this theme was all through my life, trying to buy love from people. I felt very inferior to my twin because she was thin and, and pretty, so I would buy her love with candy. 
I also felt bad for her because she was shy. So I'd bring her with me when I would socialize, hoping that once the boys would see just how pretty my twin was, then they'd want to be my friend. Both my twin sister and my older sister were thin, and they got good grades. So my parents were very, very pleased with them. Um, a little bit about my parents. Um, it's important. It was very important to my parents that I be thin and smart because if you're smart, you can get into college where you would then find a good husband and you must be thin to be loved by a man. So my message was I'm not valued unless I'm smart and skinny. Well, my main interest in school was art, music, and drama, and I excelled at it. And my parents would try to encourage me to pursue other subjects because they believed there was absolutely no security in music and drama. So I continued to feel like I was a disappointment and I was a burden to the family. I literally was starting to feel like I was a piece of garbage. I was definitely a wild and defiant child. My mother would tell me that God kept track of all my sins, and for every sin I would get a black mark on my record. Well, by the age of 14, I had already accumulated so many black markets on my record. I said, what the heck? I'm going to hell anyway. I'm going to have fun. And this is when drinking and drugging entered my life. So along with being popular because of my musical talents, I was now popular for being the party gal. All my friends would call me and ask, so what are we doing tonight, Sal? I was the party planner. I was so rebellious and fat that one year I failed gym and I had to retake gym in summer school. The reason I failed gym was because I was so mortified by that horrible one-piece red gym suit they made us wear, and I was terrified for the boys to see how fat I was. So I hid behind the bleachers, and I basically had to take gym over because I didn't participate. At this time, my home life was just getting really bad. Consistent fights about my weight, and I eventually literally got banned from eating at the family supper table. And the reason being was my dad would ridicule me in front of my family. He'd get on my case for eating too much, eating too fast, grabbing at the rolls, doing poorly in school, he would embarrass me so much that I'd give him the look. And once I gave him the look, then his rage started, and it would explode into this huge fight around the dinner table. And so the solution was to not have me eat with the family. I look back now on that, and I, I was glad because then I could you know, eat what I want alone, but that made me feel so much shame, and the shame just went deeper into my soul. I had a look at both my parents' life, and they both experienced childhood traumas. Um, my mother lost her mom at age 16 from weight-induced diabetes, and her dad was an alcoholic. My dad also lost both his parents at a very young age. In fact, one of his sisters died in his arms, so there was a lot of unresolved grief. And there's another term out there in the recovery world, in the healing world, it's called soul injury. And I believe that both my parents, because of the trauma in their lives, the deep grief they felt, their souls were injured. And, and they knew no other way, and so they projected this onto me. Um, my dad also served in two wars. And I've heard interventionists say that unresolved grief is huge, great fuel for an addict. 
And my dad's addiction was rage. That's how his grief showed up in rage, anger. And as a result of my dad's trauma, he became a very abusive man physically and especially verbally, and I was the scapegoat. He basically just had enough energy to get him through work each day and provide for his family. And that's who he was. He was a great provider, but he, um, he, didn't, he wasn't an emotional, loving, kind man. I don't think he told me he loved me until I was in my 40s. Um, he would say to me, because of his trauma and what he went through, when I would cry about something, he'd say, oh, Sally, just save your tears for when someone dies. So one way I would escape from the pain in my household is I would, was through music and, of course, food. I was singing since I was a little kid. I would sing at church. It great, brought me such great joy, and I was good at it. And I finally decided that I wanted to pursue a career in musical theater, and I dreamed of moving to New York City and performing on Broadway. Well, there were many Saturday nights when all my friends were out on dates, that you'd find me sitting in my basement singing songs to my favorite Broadway musicals with bags of fast food all around me. I convinced myself it was more fun to do that than go out and be social with my friends. And that's what brought me the most joy, music and food. Down there, I would sing Liza Minnelli and Barbara Streisand into my hairbrush and fantasize about, you know, being on Broadway and being popular and being loved. Applause, applause, applause. So I, I was very involved in music and drama, and after long days at school, I'd come home and, after, and consume massive amounts of calories to the point where in my senior year in high school, my weight climbed to 220 pounds. And at that point, my twin sister weighed 120 pounds. I felt so much shame. I weighed 100 pounds more than my beautiful twin sister. This just helped me feel even more of a failure. So when I graduated high school, all of my tribe from high school went off to college, and they were no longer around to party. And there, and there I was, fat and alone. Um, I didn't go to college. I couldn't have even gotten into college if I tried to. I mean, I was so rebellious that literally when I went and did my SATs, I was hungover and I did eeny, meeny, miny, mo on my SATs. It was just a total joke. I was really self-destructive. Um, and I realized now I was just, I was a master at sabotaging my life. So um, since my sisters were going to college and I wasn't, my parents told me I had to get a job if I wanted to stay in the house. And so I went down the block to a fast food restaurant called Roy Rogers. And I don't know if you guys ever went to a Roy Rogers, but when you're an employee at Roy Rogers, you have to wear this outfit. Meanwhile, I'm 220 pounds, five foot, two and a half, and you have to wear this outfit. And it's just red and white checked skirt that's gathered at the waist with this puffy sleeve, like mini pearl top with a cowboy hat. And people would walk in the door, and I'd say, howdy, partner, can I take your order? And I'd hand them their bag of food, and I'd say, happy trails. This was the bottom for me. I couldn't believe that both my sisters were in college. All my friends were off pursuing their career, and here I was, 
working in Roy Rogers, and my shame went even deeper. Well, God has always been in my life. Even as a little kid, I can look back and I can see these little mini miracles that happened. And, you know, I talk about this dream of moving to New York and doing theater. And so um, I was given an opportunity to learn how to waitress, you know. And you, if you're going to do theater in New York, you have to waitress. So I, um, I got a job working at, these, at a Greek diner in New Jersey. Um, and at the same time, I moved out of my house which was huge for me. It, was, it started a new healing process for me. And at that point, I joined Weight Watchers. And I lost 80 pounds on Weight Watchers. I followed my food plan and ate all the free foods they allowed me. I'd go into work and I would follow a food plan, but I was constantly shoving New Jersey Diner dill pickles in my mouth. Um, I was still obsessed with food. Um, at one point... I was eating so many carrots that my skin turned yellow and a doctor told me I had carotene poisoning um, when my friends thought I had hepatitis because I was yellow from eating so many carrots from being on these funky diets. Um, At the same time I was working at this diner, um, I had, there was a lady there that knew I wanted to move to New York and, and this is God. I wanted to move to New York and do theater, and she had a husband that managed three restaurants at uh, Rockefeller Center right in New York, and she said, Sal, I can get you a job. At the same time, my friend Michael was uh, needing to move out of his apartment in New York City to go dance in Europe, and so, boom, I had a place to live and a job. New York City, here I come, and my dreams are going to come true. So I pounded the pavement, and, um, and I was thinner. I was at a normal body weight, so I pounded the pavement, and I was able to get a performing job doing summer stock on the Jersey Shore, and I was able to keep my weight down because I was so motivated to succeed in show business, and I did not want to look fat in my costumes. So I received great reviews about my talent while at summer stock, but when I returned to New York City that fall, I was just back to becoming another little fish in a big sea. I struggled trying to get other performing jobs, and nothing was happening, happening, which proved that I had no talent, and my career choice was bad, just like my parents told me. This began another relapse, big relapse into the food and this is where I call, I started practicing what I call skid row binging. New York is great for that. So I would work, I'd wake up in the morning and I'd say, you know, I'm not going to eat. And I was working at this restaurant and I promised myself I'm not going to eat this day. And right before the end of the shift, I would run into the kitchen and I would grab a piece of pie and I'd shove it in my mouth before I had a chance to talk myself out of it. And then that would give me permission, once I got off my shift, to go across the street with something in my pocket, something in my mouth, going in to get something else. I called it zigzagging. I would zigzag across the streets of New York City and eat my way home. I literally got to the point where I couldn't keep food in my apartment. But one day, out of desperation, I took the sugar bowl down and I started eating spoonfuls of sugar. I was mainlining sugar. I was losing control, and the scale was climbing, and I was absolutely terrified. Um, in my attempt to gain control over my eating, um, I'm like, okay, there's, 
I got to find another diet, you know, what's next? So I took the phone book down. It was when they still had those big six phone books. And I opened to the chapter, um, probably weight loss. And I ran my finger down that phone book and I said, oh, Ovaries Anonymous. I remember, oh, I think I went to a meeting years ago. Now, I can't tell you anything about that meeting. I don't remember anything, but I know I went to a meeting. So the next day, I had my meeting. I decided what meeting I was going to go to, but of course, I was binging my way to the meeting. And with a huge New York-style chocolate chip cookie in my hand, I opened the door and I threw that cookie to the wind and I said, okay, I hope this works. And in I went. I climbed the stairs and upstairs was this room filled with people. And they were sitting in a circle and they were reading from this blue book that they were switching out the name alcohol for food. And they also talked about all the crazy stuff they did with food. And I knew I, I could completely relate they were speaking my language, and I was motivated. I mean, how many of us are motivated in the beginning of a diet? We're willing to do whatever we got to do. So I left that meeting, and I was very, very hope. I was very motivated and hopeful. Um, and at that particular meeting, all they had was the AA Big Book, the AA One Day at a Time, and the Dignity of Choice Food Plan. They told me, get a sponsor, pick a food plan from the Dignity of Choice. So, of course, I picked the biggest food plan on the Dignity of Choice, similar to Weight Watchers. I was not known to do gray sheet. Those people are nuts. I was also told to start working the steps and to get a sponsor. And I was desperate. An amazing thing is I was desperate to get this program, and so I was willing to do what I had to do. But the amazing thing was I left that meeting, and I went to join my friends at one of my favorite foodie restaurants, and I didn't eat. I had no desire to eat. It had been removed. I had been given abstinence when I walked out of that meeting, and it was a gift. And I was terrified of losing it, so I was doing what I was told. So I found a sponsor. And this is a neat story. My first sponsor that I ever had, and this is where, you know, God comes in, where I see that God's been running my life all along. I um, used to go to this wonderful theater in um, New Hampshire and watch the shows and dream about doing theater there. And I saw this person on the stage performing, and she just stuck out to me. She was magnetic and charisma. And I wanted to be her. I envied her. And then I'm in New York in an acting class, and this theater I went, I saw her in was in New Hampshire. So then I'm back in New York in an acting class, and I see this person in my acting class. I'm like, oh, my God, there she is. Well, guess who was in my first OA meeting? The same person. And she became my sponsor. Well, she was kind of, you know, green like me and probably knew about as much as I knew. And um, she did her best to guide me through the steps, but... We didn't get too far. Um, because I was so desperate, um, I did what I was told from the start. I followed the food plan. I was told that I had to start working the steps. Um, I want to talk a little bit about some of the behavior that I continue to practice while in this program and labeling it abstinence. Today I don't practice this, but back then um, I would see other people doing this, so I assumed it was abstinence. 
okay? So one of the things I would do, I, I, I put the food down, I put the sugar down, but I was still very compulsive with stuff. And one of them was gum. In the 1970s, there was this gum out there, and we called it Tum Gum because it had a soft center that when you chewed down on it, this sweet blob of thick sorbitol solution would explode into your mouth. It was delicious. I would consume 10 to 20 packs a day of this. It had so much sorbitol in it, I was doubled over from the stomach pain one gets when you consume too much of artificial sweetener. I would also go to meetings and I'd see other members sitting in a chair with liters of diet soda next to them. So I figured that was okay. I can chew as much gum and I can drink as much soda as I wanted to. And this was considered abstinent. I wasn't binging, yeah, and I was losing weight. I once had blood tests done um, and the results showed that I had a stressed liver and we discovered um, that that stressed liver was a result of me eating too much artificial sweetener and drinking too much diet soda. It took me two years to complete my fourth step where I got absolutely no relief from it. I think I just read, wrote down the story of my life and, and read it to somebody. I don't remember doing the sixth or the seventh steps. I jumped into the ninth step. I had a lot of financial amends to make, mostly because of all the money I stole. I mean, I was 23 when I got in the program. I hadn't stepped on a lot of toes, but I'd stolen a lot of money. And that was really scary for me. I had to make amends to a bank that I worked at. And fortunately, the uh, statute of limitations was in effect, so I, I, I didn't have to go to jail. But, man, I felt a lot of shame. And I did. I did get relief from those from doing that, um, those nine, the ninth step, but I never did any 10th step ever, didn't really understand it. I did some 11 step work and a lot of 12 step work. I mean, I started meetings. Um, I, I, I did a lot of support work and all of that, it kept me from binging. Well, in the mid eighties, I, I moved out, I moved from New York city to Denver, Colorado. And, um, at that same time, my food my obsession with food and weight was still huge. One of the things that I never got in all my years of this program was re- I got relief from binging, but not relieved of what am I, what's, what's my next meal, am I following the right food plan, and my weight. I did crazy things. I, as a result of eating too many vegetables and not enough fat, I developed horrible, horrible digestive problems. But as a result of that, um, I started getting massage therapy to resolve these problems with my body and my emotions. And as a result, I became a massage therapist, which um, getting into the healing arts really helped support what I'd already been learning and then learned in program. And I think that's self-love and self-care. So um, after I went to massage school, I moved to a ski town called Vail, Colorado, and I went to the OA meetings there. I continued to go to meetings in Denver, but they were not great meetings. It was pissing and moaning and, you know, sharing the latest drama in your life and tying the topic into it. So 
I move to Vail and I go to this meeting and I meet this guy named Bert at this meeting and I really liked Bert. He was really talking recovery. Um, and at the same time, I was also told early on in my recovery that I needed to go to open AA meetings because that's where I was going to hear the message. Even in New York, way back in the 80s, the, the, uh, it's just my opinion, but the meetings were weak. You didn't hear what you hear today in these vision meetings. So anyway, I started going to open AA meetings, and uh, so I didn't drink for 17 years in recovery. And then out of the blue one day, I picked up alcohol, and um, that got me into another 12-step program. And so I kind of, I would go to OA meetings, but I would go to more, I'd go to more AA meetings because that's where I really heard recovery. And like one thing, I, it, which is so embarrassing for me to admit, is I didn't have a sponsor for 35 years in this recovery. I had a couple sponsors in the beginning, but I tried to do this all myself. And anywhere I went, I'm seriously, I did not see anybody that had what I want, that what I wanted. I didn't know this level of, other level of recovery was available. So anyway, fast forward, sloppy food, still obsessed with my weight, but still absent because I wasn't binging. And thinking that I'm working an okay program. Well, excuse my language, but shit hit the fan in two in two thousand. Um, I got a call from my twin sister Joanne telling me that she was just diagnosed with heart failure and she was forty four. And she said, Sal, I think I did this to myself and I said, What do you mean? She said, Well, the last six years I've been taking the supplement that this guy told me about at the gym, and it's, I've been taking more than double dose for six years, and this substance has something called Huang in it, and it turns out that Huang is the herbal form of ephedra. And she said, I've been taking double dose for more than six years, and as a result, I have heart failure and a leaky valve. And... And I had known she'd struggled with um, with food. She had tried OA. She would. Um, she needed. She needed this program, but she never really found it. It never spoke to her. Well, I hung in with her as she tried to overcome this heart failure, and she had open heart surgery. And unfortunately, one year later, after her surgery, it failed, and she died. And I I got this call that. Um, she had passed out and then she was being taken to the hospital because I had God in my life. I got on my knees and I said, dear God, I just pray that you be with her and with everybody that is present and taking care of her needs right now. And may your will be done. I mean, I had enough God in my life that I was able to say, let your will unfold. And, um, my, knee, my, my knees hit the floor, and I prayed that, and a half hour later, I got a call that she died. And losing my twin sister was the most painful experience that I have ever walked through in my life. I had days and months of intense grief, all along asking God, please, please show me the lesson in this tragedy. Don't let her death be in vain. But see, I'm the type of person where I want the lesson now. I don't want to cry for two years. Well, you know what? I had to cry for two years 
And I still cry. It's been, it was 17 years this year, and I still cry. But I also have learned so much. Her death has taught me so much. And one thing that's really sad about her death is this sweet, beautiful girl would, could have been alive today if she'd followed her doctor's suggestion and gotten a defibrillator implanted in her upper chest. But she was so vain, she refused to have that defibrillator implanted in her chest because she didn't want people to see it protruding from her skin. She also knew that if she had to have the heart transplant, which was suggested, that it would make her gain weight and she'd rather be dead than fat. And haven't some of us said the same thing? My sister Joanne was beautiful and smart, but she didn't know it. And how many of us are beautiful and smart and we don't know it? Well, I knew I had to embrace this grief or else it would kill me. So I worked really hard and I started studying grief as well as questioning what my beliefs are about dying and why am I here and I... And we both have the same disease, and how come I'm here and she's not? Um, Like Joanne, I had low self-esteem. I felt unlovable, felt like a failure unless I was thin, smart, popular, pretty. I knew I had to heal these beliefs in me, and as a result, maybe her death could not be in vain, and now I could live for the both of us. So I continued working that program to be semi-sane and not obese. And in that time, I married my husband, and I moved to a small rural town. Um, I married this wonderful man. His name is Joe. And when I decided to get married, it was a decision that I said, Sally, if you don't get married and commit yourself to this man, you are never going to grow up because there are certain areas of self-development that we can really avoid if we hide out at home in front of the TV set. And my husband has been one of my greatest teachers. And fortunately, my husband has experience with the 12-step program of Al-Anon because of a past relationship. So that was a little bit about my past. I want to fast forward and to tell you what started happening in August of 2017. So I mentioned this guy named Bert that I saw at meetings in Vail, who I really admired his recovery. And... Every time I saw him, he was the same weight. He was glowing. He was positive. And I was working at the spa in Vail, and Bert would also come in and get massages. And one day, Bert was waiting in the, in the waiting room, and I went in and started chatting with him. And I admitted to him, I said, I'm not in a good place. I still don't have a sponsor. I have no OA tribe, and I'm sick and tired of being obsessed with my weight and looking for another food plan. And at this point, I don't care if I lose any weight. I just want to be relieved of this obsession with my weight and food. And I said, I'm a dry drunk. And God, there has got to be more than this. Well, you know what they say when the student's ready, the teacher appears. Bert then told me about this upcoming five-day retreat that he knew of that I could go to. And he assured me that at this retreat, I could find a sponsor, I could build a tribe, and I could get my food in order. I was desperate. He also said, Sal, you have got to forget everything that you know because you think you know it all and you don't, and you've got to show up with a beginner mind. 
So I call this retreat my hospitalization because it says in the book, you know, some people have to be hospitalized. And this was my hospitalization. So I went to this retreat and they had me identify my foods and discover what I was still eating that was triggering me to want more. And they fed me wonderful absent food every day. And the most important part is we opened up the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and and we read the doctor's opinion. Now, I've had my original big book is, is falling apart because all I ever read were the stories. I never read the first 164 pages. Those stories were motivating enough to me because I could relate to what they did with alcohol and how they behaved in their life. I could relate to those stories, so they were really, really helpful. But in this retreat, they read the doctor's opinion. And I'm thinking, holy crap. 35-plus years in OA, and no one has ever explained the doctor's opinion to me? Whoa, thank you, God. Well, we continued at this retreat up to, um, up to we took, went up to step three. Um, I was told that if I didn't continue when I left this retreat, if I did not continue to work these steps once I got home, that I would eat again. I still hadn't found a sponsor. I was too afraid to ask someone at this retreat for fear they'd say no and for fear that they, of course, weren't good enough. Well, one of our sessions, this really peppy lady that shared her story um, starts handing out these little blue cards. And on this little blue card is a vision for you. And there are these phone meetings. And I'm like, phone meetings? I had no idea that they had phone meetings. And so I said, okay, this is going to be my link. So when I get home, I'm going to use, I'm going to use this, a vision for you for my meetings. And so I get on my first vision for you meeting, and guess where they are? First page, they were doing the doctor's opinion. And I, I, to me, it blew me away. It's like they were just starting to go through the book again. And and once again, you know, there are no mistakes. I was right where I had to be. Um, While I was at this retreat, um, we were doing a morning meditation, and I'm sitting there, and I felt this sadness welling up in my chest, and it was stuck in my throat. And I knew that I had to leave and feel whatever emotion was happening in my body. And I went outside. It was this beautiful forest outside, and I went out there, and I burst into tears and my tears were tears of some regret but also God was saying to me Sally honey you have got to forgive yourself for the 30 plus years you think you worked a crappy crappy program you did the best you could and then there were tears of gratitude of thank you thank you thank you God I get another chance and I left that retreat, and I got on that airplane, and I had was given at that retreat complete abstinence, and I got on that airplane, and I have had complete absence. It will be two years, October 14th, ever since. And to me, that is a miracle. So, um, I got, like I said, I got on the vision meetings, and I was told that in the second hour I could get a sponsor. So I finally got my sponsor, and this woman that I chose to be my sponsor said, I'm willing to take someone through the book, and they have to, um, it's only going to be through the, the 12 steps like your hair's on fire. 
And I said, that's my person. So I called her. She took me on. She only had 15 days absence herself, but she was on fire. And we started with the set-aside prayer, and she took me through the steps, and I knew that I had to make this program first in my life because I still had this ego that said, wait a second, I can be teaching these classes. I had to be humbled. So once I got through the steps, she told me, you got to live in 10, 11, and 12. So once I completed the steps, I got on the line and I put my name out there and I started sponsoring. And I was terrified. And to this day, I've been sponsoring. Um, I sponsor at least two people. I'm taken through the book, sometimes more, but for me, two people is what feels comfortable. I now live in steps 10, 11, and 12, and I say, I cleaned up my food, and I cleaned up my step work, and as a result, I have a new level of recovery. Believe me, if all I was to receive from this program was what I had before, sloppy food, obsession with weight, it was better than binging. I would have taken it, and I know a lot of us, that's what we have. We're still obsessed with the weight. We're still obsessed with our food plan, and and to me, that's better than binging. But there is so much more. I never knew I could have neutrality with food. I don't want to eat my binge foods anymore. I follow a food plan. It gives me so much freedom. My husband said to me one day, he said, oh, honey, I hate to see your, your, your food is so restrictive. I said, my food plan gives me so much freedom. It puts food in its proper, proper space so I can live my life. Anyway, I'm not the same person that showed up um, at my first Vision for You meeting. Um, almost two years ago, and I can't believe the changes that have happened in my life. Um, like I said, I didn't expect to lose any weight. I just wanted to be sane. But I dropped 40 pounds. I've never been this thin in my life. I seriously don't think I could have handled being thinner, having a thinner body without experiencing the necessary emotional changes that I had to experience from working these steps. Um, this program is life and death for me. Working my program is my priority. Um, I have a new employer. I have a new director, and it ain't Sally. God has given me a life that I couldn't have possibly dreamed up for myself. I don't know. I look at my life, and I say, why me? I'm so thankful, and I give God all the glory. I literally feel that God has taken all my hardships that I've experienced in almost 62 years on this earth, and my talents, and he's combined them together to do the work that I now get to do in this world. I still love to sing, but I no longer feel like I have to be Liza Minnelli or Barbara Streisand. I'm just Sally. And as a result of working this program, I have this new job that God saw fit to put me in. Um, Several years ago, I started singing at a local nursing home, volunteering, and two years later, they offered me a job in their activities department. In this job, my description includes directing and providing music, so I get to use my musical talents. I get to do massage, so I get to use my holistic talents. And from all my work with grief and wanting to understand grief and how to heal from grief, I just got certified as an end-of-life doula 
And now I get to sit at the beds of the residents that are dying. And that is such an honor. And I wouldn't have been led to this if it wasn't for all my past experiences. Um, I struggled for many years in life with my conception of God. I was taught in an early life that God was a punishing God. And believe me, I've gone down some really funky paths in my search for God, and that's another talk in itself. But I truly believe that God has always been with me, even when I'm binging. I have this image of of me walking along, and God has wrapped this rope around my waist, and I walk ahead of him, and I get too far, and he reels me back in. And I know that God will never let go of that rope. So I know that today I must take action daily to maintain a fit spiritual condition. I I have to carry this message, otherwise I will eat. And that's why I showed up today to do this fear and awe. A couple weeks ago, one of the ladies said, this is the Carnegie Hall of OA, and I'm like, yeah, this is the Broadway show Hamilton of OA to me. Um, So when I wake up each morning, seriously, before my feet hit the bed, I think of God, and I think about my day, and I ask him, help me through this day. May your will unfold. I do this because living in self-will run riot feels like crap. I hate it. I don't want to do it anymore. I still listen to vision meetings, but I have a, a, if I have a sponsor who can only talk at that time during the meetings, I always take her first, and I, I'm always taking at least two people through the book. Um, I want to share a prayer with you that one of the prayers I say in the morning, and I, I stole this prayer. I was singing at a, a, a baby christening many years ago, and this is the prayer they said to the baby as they sprinkled rose petals on the baby. And this is the prayer, but I say it for myself. I say, God. May I see the world through your eyes. May I walk with your feet. May I touch with your hands. May I hear with your ears. May I love with your heart. And may I perceive all that is around me with your mind. And let me tell you, when I pray that prayer, there are days where I go to sleep at night and I say, who was that Sally that showed up today? What a great day this was. And then there are days where a little bratty Sally shows up, and that's when I know I have some work to do. I have to look up. I have to look at what I did and clean up my mess. I've had a spiritual awakening, and, and I call this spiritual progression. I couldn't have known, known it any sooner. And I've got it since working this program as it's designed. And I'm excited for my life today. For today, I am content. I'm not striving or clawing through life to get what I think I need or to be who I think I should be. I'm not striving to lose weight, have you like me, be the best singer, be the best employee, be the perfect wife, have great clothes, more shoes. It took every bite, every book, every nutritionist, therapist, Weight Watcher meeting, Jenny Craig, sloppy meal, crappy OA meeting to get me to this point in my recovery. I know that God has my back and a divine plan for me. I just need to trust God and keep my side of the street clean and to help others. Some days helping others is taking a 12-step call, praying for others. Sometimes it's asking my husband, honey, is there anything I can do for you today to help you have an easier day? 
And some days it's just telling an elderly person that I think they're beautiful. I call it dropping a love bomb. I can turn around my self-centered, fearful pity party by just paying one other person a compliment. I can literally change my brain chemistry by paying a compliment to somebody. So today I do my best to be loving the world, even when the best thing that I can do is just keep my mouth shut. I'm a child of God. We all are. And we are all here for a reason. I just want to read a little bit from the book, which, which from the beginning of the program really, really helped me. And it might be redundant to some of you old timers, but it's really powerful for me. It used to be on 449, now it's 417. Acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I'm disturbed, it's because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me. And I can find no serenity until I accept that person, that place, that thing or situation as it be exactly the way it's supposed to be at this moment. Nothing, absolutely nothing happens in God's world by mistake. Until I could accept my alcoholism, I could not stay sober. Unless I accept life completely on life's terms, I cannot be happy. I need not concentrate so much on what needs to be changed in the world as what needs to be changed in me and in my attitudes. Shakespeare said, all the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. He forgot to mention that I was the chief critic. I was always able to see the flaw in every person and every situation, and I always was glad to point it out because I knew you wanted perfection just as I did. AA and acceptance have taught me that there's a bit of good in the worst of us and a bit of bad in the best of us, that we are all children of God and we each have a right to be here. When I complain about me or about you, I'm complaining about God's handiwork. I'm saying that I know better than God. So I just want to end um, with a song. Um, Music is still one of my greatest, greatest healers and um, I've been exposed over the years of my recovery to some incredibly funny, 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 beautiful um, music. And this is um, a song that speaks to me. It's called Dear God. Dear God, I give my thoughts to you. I know you tell me what to do. Give me your desire for what will take me higher. Dear God, I give my thoughts to you. Dear God, I give myself to you. Make me whatever you want to. You are my source. Keep me on course, dear God. I give myself to you. Dear God, I give my life to you. Walk me through all I go through. You can have this day. Just show me the way. Dear God, I give my life to you. 
Dear God, I give it all to you. Free me and make me someone who teaches your love in all that I do. Dear God, I give my life to you. Dear God, I give my thoughts, I give myself to you. Dear God, I give it all to you. Thank you for listening to me, and with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Sally, for sharing your inspiring and incredible story of transformation with all of us today as a result of the 12 steps in a relationship with your higher power. Sally's contact information will be given at the conclusion of this recording, so you'll want to stay tuned for that. The share ID for this morning's presentation, 13,263. That's 13263. And we'll now transition to a question and answer segment. If you have a question for Sally, you can pose that question by pressing star 1 to unmute. I need your first name and as well as the first letter of your last name, please. Becca R. Becca R. Roz G. Roz. All right. Melissa. Um, hey, Melissa. Gotcha. Okay, let's get started with these three. Becca R. Go right ahead. Hi, this is Becca R. from Kentucky, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. And thank you for the beautiful share and your service this morning. My question is, when I heard you talking about taking people through the steps like their hair's on fire, my experience was um, a rather, not slow, but it did take some time. And so I sometimes imagine when I'm, taking someone through the steps that it's going to take that amount of time. Can you describe what it means and what it looks like to take someone through the steps um, in a more quickly fashion? Thanks. I pass. Thanks for the question. Well, I was saying for me, this is someone that had 30 plus years of screwing around the rooms and I was so ready. And I had a lot of experience with step work. And so when I had a chance to like, do it and do it fast and move on, I grabbed it. I'm not saying that that's how I take people through the steps. I I started out that way, but I meet people where they're at, you know, and if I, I mean, I don't think it should be dragged on for months, you know, I would like to do it within a month, you know, it depends on their availability, but I look at how it took 39 years of this program for me to get the knowledge that I have today. I can't expect a beginner to get it. This is just me. And so I, I, I'll go slower if that's what they need. I, I just meet them where they're at and I give them what they need. And I, I let them know that I, this needs to take place relatively quickly, you know, so they can get out there and help others. Because for me, that's the real, that's the meat is the helping others. 
hope I answered your question. Thank you, Becca R. Roz G., your turn. Good morning. Um, I'm just crying my eyes out at this beautiful share. Thank you so much. You're and welcome. My, it's just beautiful. My question to you is, uh, did you, could you talk about some of the personality change that you went through when you got abstinent, please. Oh my God. You know, it's it's profound. I, I feel this, I feel God like I've never felt God before. And I know God was always with me, but you know, here's I'll give you some small examples. You know, in my abstinence, you know, we'd be on a motorcycle trip with my husband and his family. And I'd be pissed because the only place we could stop was a subway. And I can't eat Subway, and I sit there with a puss on my face because I can't eat Subway. Well, now I know I can go anywhere, and it might not be my perfect, lovely meal that I'm used to, but I don't sit there with a puss on my face. I am less selfish. I'm more, I'm not worried about myself constantly. I mean, one thing that's also been a gift is, Okay, to me, when I'm obsessed with my weight, that is self-centeredness. I've had this obsession with my weight removed from me. I've had God, I feel like there's this prayer that I pray. um, It's a Marian Williamson prayer, and it's, 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 we're to ask God for a miracle. And on what a miracle is, is a change in perception. And what's happened to me is I perceive my life differently. You know, I, I, I go to work now and I am more of service. I'm less Sally, more God. I don't know if that makes sense. But I, I, I'm not worried about my future. Um, and these are things that I didn't sit down and say, okay, I don't want to be worried about my future anymore. These are things that are getting plucked, gently plucked out of my life. And this new way of thinking has taken over. And to me, that's the God consciousness. And all I have to do is say, this is something that I really want to work on in my life. And eventually, I get a chance to work on it, and hopefully it gets removed. So um, I don't know if I'm answering your question, Roz. Am I answering your question? Roz? Yes, I needed to unmute. Yes, perfect. I, yeah, I, I, just, I identify. You just keep showing up. You don't give up. And it's like you know, someone put a thing on Facebook yesterday, this this, this world. This it was running in the cage, and he goes, "This is me letting go of my character defect, trying to let go of my character defects." And it cracked me up because I was a flipping squirrel in a cage for years in this program. I'm not a squirrel in a cage anymore, and that is a gift. And I think it just comes with time and showing up and bloody knees and not giving up. Thank you. Thanks, Roz G., for the question. Melissa C., your turn. Hi, good morning. Hi, thanks so much. Um, 
Sally, that was really, it was beautiful. And um, I was really listening to your whole story just um, on the edge of my seat. Um, I appreciate your share. My question was, you know, I can hear um, tremendous acceptance, and you talked about acceptance. Um, and that, so then I would imagine that you made peace with um, your father, your mom, um, your growing up. And I would love if you would speak some more how you um, let go of those resentments and perhaps if there's amends that needed to be made. I would love to hear about that too. Thanks. Um, thanks for the question. Yeah, it was really important. The work I did around my mom and my dad was really important because, you know, my dad was really cruel and I thought it was that I deserved it. And as I recovered, I had to really go back and look at my parents' life and what they went through. And in my own experience of grief and what my grief did to me when I lost my twin sister, I put myself in my dad's shoes and I said, what did it feel like for him to have a sister die in his arms, you know, to be in two wars and experience lots of death, to lose his parents. And I, I was able to understand why he couldn't love that he was, I mean, he was in his 30s when he had me, you know. He was still a kid, you know, and he was completely fear-based. And so he saw the world through fear-based eyes. And he was so afraid that I was going to make choices in my life that were going to lead me down a bad road. And so he was aggressive and mean to me, but it was his way of loving. And I have to share something that happened, a healing that happened with my dad. So I think I told you, he, he would say to me, save your tears for when someone dies. And I know where that came from. That was because that's when he got to cry, when someone died. And so I was at my sister's funeral and I was singing and I finished my song. And I got through the song and after the song, my knees buckled. And I started falling to the floor. And my dad jumps up out of the couch in the chair he was sitting in, grabs me, pulls me into his arms, and I sobbed in his chest for the first time. And I was 44. And I remember looking up and I said, thank you, Joanne, because it was, it was her death that made this happen. The, my sister's death bonded me closer to my family because... I started understanding why they were doing what they were doing and not taking it personally. They were doing the very best they could with what the tools they were given. Yet I was able to open up my heart and let my dad in. And I, at one point I said to him in my life, I said, I, I take responsibility for the bullshit that I poured on you. I take my responsibility. And um, and he accepted that. But I also said to him, Dad, I need you to tell me you love me. You never tell me you love me. And now, and not now, he's gone. But ever since then, he told me he loved me. So I spend time trying to understand other people and why they do what they do and to, so I can realize it's not about me. And then love them. Try to come from that compassionate place and love them and know that they are doing the very best that they can. Same with my mother. And when my, my parents are both gone now, I have no regrets. I knew the signs that, that they were going to die, and I did a lot of work before they passed. 
and I have freedom from that. I hope I answered your question. Yeah, thank you. That was thank you. Beautiful. Thanks. You're thank welcome, you. Melissa. Thanks, Melissa. Who else has a question for Sally? Star one time mute. Denise R. Denise R. Is that correct? Yes. Barbara E. Barbara, gotcha. Cassie W. Anyone else? Star one to unmute. Nancy, I have a question. Nancy. Okay. All right, let's go with that. Everybody mute, please, except for Denise R. Okay, hi. Um, I'm Denise R. And I'm new to vision, but I'm not new to the big book. But I've never been able to... I've read the doctor's opinion even recently, and I just don't understand it. How do you... Do you pick it apart to understand it, or do you... Um, I mean, I've been... I have been in OA many, many, many years. And when it, when we used to use the big book, but I have never understood the big book. And how do how do you um, I, I just have a problem understanding it when we're always saying um, um, alcoholic and liquor. Is there a way you? Get around that? Is there a way, um, maybe starting with the doctor's opinion that you somehow... Okay, I think I understand your question. Um, you okay. know, I had to have the crap kicked out of me with food, you know, um, uh, and, and, and I did. When I first got into the program, I gave up, you know, the sugar and the things that they suggested, but... I continued for many years of my recovery still being obsessed with food and realizing I was dieting with group support, basically. I wasn't binging, but I was still, I wasn't getting it. And so when I went to my little treatment program and we read the doctor's opinion, number one, they took away some of my substances that I was still eating. And these were foods that I thought were abstinent foods but I got them out of my body while I was there. And all of a sudden, I didn't crave them anymore. So it was through personal experience that I got to feel like, whoa, I left all of these specific foods and behaviors, and now as a result, I don't have the physical craving. So it's, it's and with food, it's hard. With alcohol, it's black and white. But, and we were talking, one of the substances that I had to give up, and I used to carry this with me. My husband would call it Sally's crack. It was powdered coffee made Cremora, you know, that I would carry with me to put in my coffee. That was keeping me addicted and into eating foods and craving foods that were keeping me 
still compulsive with food. And so it has to be this personal experience. I can't get it in my head. I had to get it in my body. And maybe you just pray and you say, you know, God, you know, give me the give me the two by four. I want to get this, you know. Please show me the doctor's opinion. And like it said, maybe you have to go out there and eat some more. And I want you to do that, but it's like it's, it, we've got to be convinced. I can't convince you. You've got to experience it in your being. And, 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 and maybe just praying and asking God and, and keep asking this question. Keep asking this question. It seems silly to me that stupid little cremora, you know, or my mate teas with sugar in it is enough to keep me crazy, but it's that simple. And I let go of that, those items, and I have no desire, but I also put food in its proper place. It's my nutrition. It's what gets me through the day. I love my food. I look forward to every single meal, but I know that I have an allergy. My body cannot handle certain substances. It's just the way I am. It's how I was built. I hope I, I answered your question. Well, I've been absent for 33 years. So that's, I, I just don't understand, you know, I just don't understand it. Oh, and you've been absent for 33 years, and are you happy, Joyce, and free? Yes. Okay. I have some problems. Well, that's, Thank you, that's, Denise, that's wonderful. For your question, and I encourage you to have uh, additional one-on-one conversations on this concern that you have. Thank you very okay. much and welcome, Denise. I'm sorry. Welcome. Not, not a problem. Okay. Let's move on to Barbara E., please, with your question, Barbara. Oh, may I be heard right now? Yes. I hear you Okay. Well. Mm-hmm. Sally, thank you so much. Your story is so funny, so poignant, and the addict in me that's still there I, w- I wake up every morning with saying, oh, I missed that gum. I bet that was good. Um, but uh, the recovered person in me says, Barbara, you're a crazy person. Now, here's my sincere question for you. How did you know when you found God's grace? I would really like to know that. Great question, Barbara. How did I find God's grace? I didn't, I recognize God's grace. I look back over my life and there, and I think if we all can look back over our life and look at some of the stuff that has happened and say, there is no mistake here. I choose to, to be better and not bitter. I choose to be a victor and not a victim with when crappy stuff goes on. And I always say, God, give me the lesson. And I can look back over some of the toughest stuff that's happened in my life and see God's hand in it. So God's grace to me is um, it's, it's, it's knowing, trusting that deep down my footsteps are being guided. My thoughts are being guided and that it's a gift and that my absence, I got to make it into this program. My twin sister didn't. 
You know, I have an alcoholic sister who's probably never going to make it into the rooms. I got, I'm here. Talk about grace. What do they say? Two, three percent of the people that come into this room make it? I'm one of, I'm part of that two percent for today. That's grace. You know, and so I, I feel like I'm seeing life through a new pair of glasses and I see gifts all around me. And to me, grace is another word for gifts. And that comes with my, my thinking being changed as a result of the 12 steps and praying and asking God, please guide my thoughts. I hope I answered your question. You answered it beautifully. You touched my heart. Thank you, and you have a magnificent voice. Oh, thank you, Jersey girl. Thank you, Barbara E., for the question. And Kathy W., your turn. If everybody else could please mute so we can minimize the noise on the line. Thank you. Kathy W., your turn. Good morning. This is Kathy W., um, compulsive overeater in, well, I'm in Loveland on a retreat, but from Denver. And um, my question was, uh, I relate to your chair a lot, a lot. Um, I'm also a musician and I'm pretty young and hoping to go to New York someday. But I was wondering um, if you could tell your young self like 30 years ago, how to like not get through programs faster, but like, I don't know, get it faster. (laughs) What would you tell her? I don't think you can get there faster, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I, um, I think when I found vision, I already had had so much program, and it just all of a sudden clicked, and it made sense to me. Uh, if I could do it over, I would stop trying to force what my will on my life you know, especially with the music. I look at back now, and I, I did, I've done some really fun things. I'm really, I, God's given me some wonderful musical performing experiences and um, they were all complete gifts and they happened because I, I would just show up and keep on singing. Um, but I would have, I would have clawed less, you know. I mean, I, I was obsessed with getting there and wanting to do it. And it's so interesting because the gifts I've been giving in my music have been handed to me. I didn't go out looking for them. They came out of the blue from God. And so I, if I had to do over, I would just relax and say, okay, God, you know, what do you want me to do today? And, you know, I might want to get up and I might want to make it in theater and show up for that. But if that's not what God's highest good is for me, I don't want to, I don't want to go after that. And I don't know a lot of times what God's highest good is for me. So it's just relax, relax. And don't eat. You know, my friend says, just weigh and measure your food, go to meetings and help us. <laughs> One of the things she says. Cool. Yeah, thank you so much. Much. Thank you, Kathy W. And our next question comes from Nancy. Star one to unmute Nancy. Thank you. I'm going to wait till you get a contact. Your contact number is given, and thank you for sharing. Okay, excellent. Very good. All right. Anyone else have a question? This is our final invitation for questions. I can take two, 
two or three more. Star one to unmute. Barbara R. in New York. Barbara R. Sandy M. Sandy S. And who else was there? Deb M. I'm not catching the first name. I'm sorry. Des, short for Desiree. Gotcha. Okay. Excellent. That's that's J J B. J B. Okay. Jane. J A N E. Yes. Jane. Thank you. Okay, Barbara, go ahead with your question, please. Barbara R. Thank you, Um, Sally. That was just so beautiful. everything and and like somebody else said it made me laugh and it made me cry and it just touched me so so very much so thank you very much and um i guess my question is um my parents both passed away before i was able to get any kind of real closure i had a little bit with my father but not so not not as much as i I wish I had, and I was just wondering if you had any thoughts or um, wisdom about how to get that closure after they're gone. Beautiful question, and I I feel your pain. Um, you know, one of the things they say, you know, as you're doing your amends, you know, you can write letters. But I, I, like I say, I've, I've studied death and I work with people that are dying and um, a lot of this stuff comes up for them at the end of life. People ask these questions and I truly believe, um, I believe my loved ones are watching over me. I really do. And they don't have to be here for me to have a conversation with them. Some people will write it in a letter and burn it. Some people will write it on um, a biodegradable paper what they want to say to their family and throw it in the water and let it wash, but something, a, a kind of a ritual. But it's, it's, I believe they can hear us. And so I just, I, I talk to my twin all the time. I yell at her, I'm pissed, you know. Why did you do this to yourself and why aren't you here anymore? And I cry and I get the tears out and then I giggle and I think about the silly stuff we did. So I, you know, I believe they're just, they're just, they made their transition to the next place and that um, I can talk with them. And usually it involves tears. And tears for me are, are so soothing for the soul. I welcome my tears. And it sounds like you're on the verge and it might be time just to have a conversation with them. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. You're Thank you, Barbara R. Sandy S. Hi, this is Angst, mm-hmm. Sandy S. from Asheville. And part of the 11th step, which is really difficult for me, is we relax and take it easy. Mm-hmm. And I really just totally identify with the striving. So my question is very practical. Like today, I have absolutely nothing planned to do. And that Another person might be happy, but I am in, like, stark raving agitation. <laughs> Relax and take it easy is, 
is like, if any tips on relaxing and take it easy, I'll I'll take it. <laughs> so um, you know, I I practice meditation. I, I I I practice something called contemplative prayer. I was introduced to that not too long ago, and because I know that, you know, running to the store, you know, getting online, shopping, I mean, I've done all that stuff. It's just a Band-Aid, and I really want to, I want to be in the pause. And so um, meditation has been really, really important to me because, and I sit and I listen, you know, when I don't have plans and I have this voice that says, but you must do this, 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 I have to stop, and I'm like, well, where's that voice coming from? And it's definitely not God, you know. God is like, nope, I want you to relax in my kingdom today, Sally, and smell the roses. But it's practice. And all, for me, I get a little taste of it because the old way feels so crummy. I get a little taste of that pause, and it feels so good. I want more. And that has come to me from meditation and reading certain um, certain material about, about contemplative prayer. I hope that helps, and I'd be happy to share. If you want to call me, I'd be happy to share that. But it's a meditation's a discipline, but I I do it every morning because I like to feel good, and I feel good when I do it. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks, Sandy S. Des M. Star one, time mute. Des M. Can I be heard now? Yes. Okay, I apologize. I was mm-hmm. talking to myself. <laughs> Thank you so much for your service and for your share, Sally. Um, I was really touched, and um, I especially connected with the song. And um, I've heard from you this morning a lot of talk about just connecting with your higher power. And, you know, I heard you talk about when you're Sally-centered and now you're more God-centered. And so my question is, um, we're in, we agnostics right now in the daily readings, and there's the line about feeling of awe and wonder, and then it was fleeting and soon lost. And I know that you're talking about working the steps on it. And I'm just wondering, I know I use tangible things like song, and it sounds like you do too. And um, you kind of just spoke about it in step 11. But if there's any other, like, you know, like a handful of things that you really use to reconnect with higher power, I know you've already spoke of some of them. But that's Mm -hmm. the question that came up for me. And thank you for your service. Thanks for the question. Um, Definitely quiet time and... um, and meditation is really important. Just and, and meditation is a practice. It's like slowing down that chatterbox that's in my head that's so noisy and so loud. Um, you know, music music is huge. It's absolutely huge. And I have and singing. I have certain songs that I can listen to that literally change my chemical makeup in my brain. Another thing is um, that is. And I, it's getting out of myself, you know. I mean, I, I I trust that God has every hair on my head counted and every footstep planned for me. So what am I going to do with this day? You know, sometimes it's go to the grocery store and smile at people. Like, look for opportunities 
to be of service. It doesn't have to be big and huge, paying somebody a compliment. And one of the changes I've noticed in myself is like I'm, I'm walking around and I'm looking up more. You know, I'm looking at the world. I'm smiling at the world more. And a lot of this did stuff, I, I had to fake it until I made it. You know, I had to mm-hmm. act as if. And now it's becoming part of me. Um, the old way of living just feels really uncomfortable. And, and to me, feeling the presence of God is, is the greatest high because it reminds me that I don't have to worry about a darn thing. I still choose to because that's my humanness. But just that, that complete surrender that I don't have a clue, God, but I know you do. I hope I answered your question. You did. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks, Des. And our final question for today comes from Jane B. Yeah, thank you, um, everyone. Um, thank you. Uh, I really enjoyed your very compassionate, moving qualification. What I wanted to ask you about specifically, and you don't have to go into your food part, is what are the tools or or disciplines do you use to support your spiritual recovery in the 12 steps to keep a fence around the food? Um, has it changed or is it, or is it loosened? I guess that's just more of a technical question because I think a lot of times we get lost in the steps and we forget about step one, you know. We're powerless. What are we doing today about our food? We don't want to focus on the food, but we need to remember that's number one. Thank you. Thanks for your question. Well, I have a food plan. You know, when I went to my retreat, um, I was given a food plan, and then I found a, a woman that works with people in the 12 steps, and I got a food plan, and that's my, that's my design for eating. And uh, I call her my food god, and so I have a food plan, and it's in, it's in its proper place. And I've omitted the foods that I'm allergic to, so I have no cravings. And so um, the, the food is kind of on the side, and so, for me, that has to be put in its proper place. And I wasn't able to put it in its proper place when I was still ingesting ingredients that were triggering me to want more. So, the food's in its proper place. I'm not. I'm not going to bed at night. And when I when I go to bed at night, I do my you know my end of night review. And on that review, it's not. It's not. I had another sloppy meal. It's like I had a sloppy day with my emotions. I owe amends. I get to review my day, not my food. So I don't know if that makes sense. It's like food is another category. It has to be put in its proper place. It's like the alcoholic. He can't have a symbol of alcohol to be able to work these steps. It's got to be, for me, it's black and white. And I have, I, there's a lot of stuff I can eat. There's a lot of stuff I can eat, but I, since I've let it go, I don't miss it. It's just putting it in its proper place. I don't know if I answered your question. Yes, thank you. You're welcome. Thanks, Jane. Thanks to everybody who asked questions. And, of course, thank you, Sally P., for your beautiful an inspiring story of transformation, another example of what's possible when we put our lives in God's hands. Thank you very much. 
I'm going to close from page 164. You'll notice it's in a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.